Okay, so we'll start. Uh, to introduce myself briefly, my name is Brian Young, and I write for uh, StarWars.com and Star Wars Insider, and I do a Star Wars podcast called Full of Sith, and I'll be the moderator asking questions and managing your questions this evening for the uh, Mythos of Star Wars and Authors panel, and uh, I would like uh, each of you to, to introduce yourselves briefly, and then we'll get right into the, the discussion. Come to me. I'm Rebecca Mesta, um, probably best known for co-writing 14 of the Young Jedi Knights books with Kevin J. Anderson, and I wrote a few of the Junior Jedi Knights books by myself, and I've written a lot of other young adult fiction as well. Kevin, by the way, is about 50 feet down the habit trail, so we expect him about six. (laughs) Uh, I'm Timothy Zahn. I've written some Star Wars and a bunch of other things. Yeah, I'm Michael Stackpole. I wrote the X-Wing books, iJedi, and a bunch of other things. And there's Kevin. And Kevin. And making a grand entrance up the center aisle. (laughs) <laughs> is Kevin J. Anderson. My hyperdrive. <laughs> so if you want to introduce yourself briefly, we'll get, uh, we'll get going. We told him, told him you were 50 feet down the habit trail, so you'd be here by 6. <laughs> that's about it. Yeah, that's about it. Uh, this human air here. <laughs> Notice that, She you? makes me wear this. His wife lets him wear that. Yeah. <laughs> And I dress you, myself. <laughs> so, introduce. Yes, the, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I, I'm Kevin J. Anderson. I've written many X Files and Dune novels. <laughs> so the uh, and I'm the co-author with Rebecca of the Star Wars Jabba's Palace pop-up book, <laughs> which is no longer canon. <laughs> So uh, the, the, the panel description says that we would be discussing with you the hero's journey and the mythology of Star Wars. And I'm curious where uh, the mythology of Star Wars, uh, the hero's journey in the movies, is pretty clear. Um, for each of you, how do you carve your way into telling more pieces of the hero's journey where the films have already been so uh, clear about it? Um, so please, just go on down the line. We create other heroes and have new journeys. <laughs> yeah, that pretty well sums it up. Um, <laughs> the, the hero's journey is, is so mythological that it's been done thousands upon thousands of times in stories and legends. So it's not like Star Wars came up with it first and they did it, so it's done now. Um, it, it is different... For every personality you put, every character you put through the paces, as it were. And the whole hero's journey idea that you start and you have this journey to fulfillment or enlightenment or whatever, in the real world, you get to some point and you keep going. And that's what my approach has been. Okay, Luke may have become a Jedi, but there's still more to learn. There are new conflicts. There are... Uh, doubts, okay, this is something that was never mentioned by Yoda or Obi-Wan, how do I deal with this one, etc. So it's, it may not be the hero's journey, but it is the continuation of these people's lives and 
what else they have to face, and as you say, bringing in new people with their story arcs as well. Yeah, you have to remember that Joseph Campbell's hero's journey is an average of what folklorists refer to as motifs. Motifs are the building blocks uh, for stories. This is what we all understand about stories. And uh, so Campbell went through and said, in these types of heroic stories, these are the events that happen most often. This is the order that they happen in most often. And he, and he made a, it was a wonderful thesis to lay this out. And it's, it's perfectly good because what he basically said is, if you tell a story following this pattern, everybody will instantly recognize it and be able to, to consume it. Um, unfortunately, a lot of young writers and a lot of screenwriters and stuff have said, oh, the hero's journey is the secret to making millions. And that's what they do. It was, it was kind of funny. In, uh, in 1998, right before I, Jedi came out, uh, Tim and I and, and uh, a bunch of Star Wars fans, um, the Star Ladies, were in Washington, D.C., and we got to go to the Smithsonian exhibit for Star Wars. Uh, we got to go in an hour early and, 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 and walk around and see it with, with you know, no one else there, just, yeah. just all of us, see all the props and everything like that. And the way they had organized that was using Campbell's hero's journey and they'd broken it down into the ten stages he had and that's how they'd organize the exhibit. Uh, like I say, I Jedi was a month from coming out and I was walking through the exhibit and each one of the stages was something that I could identify in I Jedi. I just had them all out of order. <laughs> okay? Which goes back to that thing of, you know, Campbell did the average. You know, when you look at, there's over 5,000 motifs in, in folklore, in, in, in mythos. And you take something like Lord of the Rings, um, uh, Tolkien used about 1,300 of them. So there's a whole passel of them sitting out there that nobody has touched. And if you go out and learn just a little bit about folklore, you see all of these things out there that we all inherently understand as story building blocks because they're part of fairy tales. They're the stuff that we've all learned since we were all preliterate of how a story is built. And as a writer today, if you go out and you start pulling those building blocks and you just skin them out with modern stuff or skin them out to work within your universe, suddenly you're telling a story that everybody understands because you're building it out of those things we inherently understand, and that means that the readers engage a lot more easily than they would have otherwise. Well, and we all think about the hero's journey and, and Star Wars A New Hope and the Luke Skywalker story, but not every Star Wars story is a hero's journey. It doesn't have to be. When, when Lucas did A New Hope, at, well, the first trilogy, he ended up doing this giant arc, and in so doing, he kind of sort of accidentally created this gigantic, huge, kick-ass universe that people could tell lots of other stories in, and there are caper stories, and there are mystery stories, and there are romances, and all kinds of things that... that all of us and all of the other Star Wars authors and all of the fans who wrote fan fiction have found so much room to play in this sandbox mm -hmm. and so many fun toys that the hero's journey is is the the first backbone that came out of it. But because that was so strong, there's a whole universe to play in. It's not just like a, a simple one note song. George Lucas's sandbox is the, is the Sahara. <laughs> Or Tatooine, or well, you know. um, which is a Sahara, but otherwise, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. He had a whole planet of desert, um, and he had a whole planet of jungle, and he had a whole planet of ice, and he had a whole planet. The ecology worries yes. me on this, yeah. but never. Yeah. <laughs> With okay, this is the mythology of Star Wars, not the science of Star Wars, guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tim's going to be doing the ecology of Star Wars another time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> With for the shaving cream planet with the alluvium Fosdeck ion and yes, yes. shaving with, cream atom, yeah. 
with um, how versatile that Star Wars universe is and how um, you can tell so many different stripes of stories with it, um, I'm wondering from your experience and from your work in the universe, um, what you were sort of most surprised you were able to, f- to, to fit in the Star Wars universe, um, whether that was uh, some sort of Western motif or a mystery story or you've, uh, with the Young Jedi Knights books, there's very much, there's so much coming of age story, which ties into that. But uh, what were you surprised that you were able to, to smuggle into that very versatile skin? The subtle human centaur sex scenes. <laughs> That's already on Twitter. Right. Well, we, we put it in very subtly that you never mind. Um, well, well, I didn't. Actually, actually, the centaur. I was going to say, actually, Lusa, there weren't sex scenes, but Lusa, I very um, carefully did not describe anything she was wearing because she doesn't wear blouses. And I was surprised I was able to. I mean, she's not just a human, so. I wanted her to be different. And yes, she has long, flowy hair like, like Disney mermaids always do. But still, she doesn't wear tops, and I, I was surprised they allowed that through. Well, we, none of us here wrote it, but the one that I was really surprised that they did was the zombies in Star yeah. Wars. Um, did, did you like that? I didn't. I mean, I didn't read those, so I didn't. Yeah, I, I, I didn't set out to do anything strange or push the envelope. It was just, okay, I, I think I understand this universe. What kind of stories would fit into it? So uh, there, there was nothing I was surprised I got away with. I mean, fan reaction to certain things was way over my expectations, which is always great. Um, but, yeah, I, I wasn't looking to push an envelope or does this fit Star Wars and fit my story? Yeah, well, I'll put well, it in. You notice we all got asked to do it again and again and again, and I guess if we had done really terrible off-the-wall things, they might not have asked us again and again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah well, I mean, when, when I was given the X-Wing books, you know, the, the what they had asked for was they wanted military science fiction set in the Star Wars universe. And so for me that meant that I, I had to find a political story uh, and I had to find, uh, you know, the way that I was going to tell the military stuff. Um, but that is sort of skinning out, you know. It, 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 it's the same sort of stories. I mean, these are stories about heroes. They're fighting titanic things. They're discovering things about themselves. It's the same sort of story that we all like to read anyway about heroes overcoming, you know, overcoming difficulties. And I just had to, I mean, you know, in essence, for me, it was World War II fighter pilots in, in the Star Wars universe. And that's very much... You know the the vibe that I wanted, and, and hopefully got. But that's the vibe that's already in yeah, the classic yeah, yeah, movie, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. not pushing an envelope. Is just this is what Star it's Wars. It's getting a little more specific. Yeah, yeah this yeah, is yeah. what Star Wars has this feel anyway. Yeah, yeah. Jump off on that direction. Um, you all presumably saw the the Star Wars movie um, when it came out, and I'm not sure where where were you professionally, and what did seeing that Star Wars movie, that first one, the first time. Um, how did that inform your personal journey into writing um, as far as storytelling goes from a storytelling perspective is that the thing that got you into studying the hero's journey so you know where all those other tropes were or um, if that question makes sense it makes sense I mean for me I was uh, let's see it was 77 so I was in college uh, I was uh, uh, and I remember I went to the first showing in Burlington, Vermont. It was 11.30 in the morning. There were 17 of us in the theater. Uh, went back three nights later. The place was packed. So that was, you know, that was, 
Yeah, nobody nobody knew what it was. Everybody was ready to pan the thing, and the fans liked it, you know, and everybody was going. So that was cool. Um, that wasn't really what started me on the on the hero's journey. I mean, I never never learned about the hero's journey per se until till much later. But in in wanting to be a writer, um, certainly the story was inspiring because it's it's just a great fun story. And so you know, I would read. Uh, a lot of the early fan material and, and stuff like that because I just wanted to know more about that universe. So I certainly was infected in, in, in that sense. But in terms of learning uh, folklore and those things, um, after I was out of college and was working for, uh, for a game company for Flying Buffalo doing role-playing game stuff, um, you know, reading mythology uh, just to get a better track on that led me into folklore and, and all the motifs and, and, uh, and having a grasp of that material. So it kind of laid the foundation. So when I finally got asked to work in the Star Wars universe, that was like, wow, this is cool. Yeah, that's going to work. So. Um, I was in college when the first Star Wars movie came out, and I did not go on day one, but I was there on day two. I had no idea what to expect. Um, I had a bunch of friends who went to Caltech, and um, they asked me to go to the movie with them, so there were like a cluster of 10 of us um, standing in line at the Chinese theater in Hollywood for three hours and I was saying to myself this really better be good <laughs> um, I was not a very um, I didn't analyze story very much at that stage um, but I had read heavily in mythology and legends and uh, folklore um, and what I knew once I watched that movie, was that it was so satisfying. It had definitely worked. And it wasn't until much later when I studied the underpinnings of it that I understood why it worked. Um, but definitely after I started uh, writing, I studied that movie over and over again and figured out what made it tick. I was in, okay, fine, I was in grad school. <laughs> but you were a child genius. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Checks in the mail. Uh, I was a year and a half into writing as a hobby. Nothing more expected from it. I was a year and a half away from my first sale. Uh, I didn't analyze it. I just enjoyed it. Um, I had also read a lot of mythology, but I didn't make any kind of analysis of, okay, this is this, this is that. I just uh, enjoyed the ride, and um, it was not the kind of story I was writing at the time. It was I was doing more analog, hard science, puzzle story things. So uh, it it was part of my consciousness for many years, and uh, it held me in good stead when I started doing novels as well. Well, unlike these guys, I was actually just in high school. Um, <laughs> Um, and actually, I'm thinking about, I had an awesome three-year period. When I was 12 years old in 1974, I read Dune. And I went, holy crap, this is what science fiction can be. And then in 1975, no, 1976, when I was 14, I read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And I went, holy crap, this is how fantasy can be. And then in 1977, uh, when I was 15, I watched Star Wars the first week when it came out in the movie theater. And it was like this three-year period when I got drenched with the best our genres have to offer. And I remember, again, for 
those of you who don't remember when Star Wars came out, this was nothing big. There wasn't really advertised that heavily. Nobody really knew anything about it. It was just some dumb science fiction movie. And the last time they had made a big deal out of a science fiction movie was 2001 A Space Odyssey. And I went to see 2001 A Space Odyssey. What year was that out? 68, So I was a much younger kid when that came out. And this was the big science. And I was the science fiction guy. I watched, you know, every B-monster movie and radioactive insects and everything else. So this was the big science fiction movie. And my dad took me and we watched it. And we kind of, that interminable 35-minute long psychedelic journey at the end, we both walked out of it and went, I guess we don't like science fiction after all. (laughs) Star Wars was not like that at all. Um, But I... Does anybody remember these? Because I remember hearing on the radio, radio advertisements for this movie, Star Wars, that were really weird. They talk about the mysterious Jet-Eye Ninths, is what I thought it said, uh, and the C-3PO and his companion R2-D2, and then they had the weird droid sounds. And, like, nobody knows what this is. It's, like, the weirdest advertisements you've ever heard. And I don't remember that the movie theater was all that empty, but I was going to go see it anyway. It was a science fiction movie, so I was going to go see it. But sitting in that theater, not having any clue what to expect, and then the fanfare opens up, and then that weird angled text goes rolling up, and you're like, whoa. And then, and then the blockade runner zooms over your head. Wow. And then the Star Destroyer comes and keeps coming and keeps coming. Like, oh, my. That was what got me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy cow. And the whole theater was like rumbling. I think it was was like Dolby Sound or something. So the whole theater was rumbling. And then the other part of that that I remembered was when the Falcon went into hyperspace for the first time. And you young whippersnappers just don't. What? See, the thing is, is it's been copied so many billions of times. You can't possibly have the impact that we had, that we had never seen anything like this before. And the, the, the Death Star trench scenes and everything, this was all new special effects. Nobody had seen anything like this before. And we were like, yeah, this is what, this is what was in my head all along from reading science fiction pulp magazines all my life. And they finally got it. But just to throw one other scene that was really grabbed me, I hope it grabbed you as well from that movie, not just the tech stop in hyperspace, but the cantina, when suddenly this old man is a warrior. And in two seconds flat, he disarms literally. (laughs) (laughs) After having tried to talk them down. And I remember that as the scene I waited, waited for every time I watched it. Suddenly, this guy show, show don't tell. Yep. Okay, you were a great Jedi, Jedi Knight warrior. No, we've talked about that. Now we're going to show it, and we're going to show it in the coolest possible way. And that's I guess part of the genius of of the movie is you've got the high tech, you've got the cool special effects, but you've also got the people that grab onto you and and won't let you go. Um, so I did an interview with Dave Filoni, who, who shepherds over uh, Clone Wars and Rebels, and he said that he said that uh, George Lucas told him once, um, if you want to make great Star Wars, don't study Star Wars. Study everything behind Star Wars. And in the context of that mythology, as you guys worked on making your great Star Wars stories, what were those other things that, that you studied? What were those other things that you gravitated to um, that, were, that were behind it that helped inform you? I'm going to jump before these other guys answer. I watched a whole bunch of Kurosawa movies. Seven Samurai and Yojimbo and, and the, the Hidden Fortress. and They're really great, great stories that um, 
they seem clunky to our age, to me at least, because they're old black and white uh, Japanese things. But the stories are really cool. Yeah. I, I don't know if I did any thinking and research. I just you know, knew Star Wars. I'd seen the movies so many times. And just see what is a good story to tell, not what is in the background, what is a hero's journey, what's the mythos of this, what's a good story I can tell. Well, and I, I guess, I guess, what what sources would you go to to say like where, what informed your taste on what a good story was? Well, you know, I mean, that's one of those things that when I was growing up, uh, uh, you know, the Edgar Rice Burroughs books were being reprinted, and so I read through all of those, you know, all of the Mars books, all of the Tarzan books, all of that stuff. Good, solid pulp stories. I mean, I. I Gobbled down all of the Doc Savage novels, any of the any of the old pulp hero novels that that you could get, which had those basic good versus evil stories. I mean, Star Wars is a western, uh, you know, and that's and and so certainly reading westerns, reading Louis L'Amour, knowing that sort of material, helps you get a sense of the characters and the dynamics of this kind of story. The fact that it's skinned out, and and one of the things that I loved to harken back to the last question, one of the things that I totally loved. Uh, about Star Wars is that the universe was not antiseptic. It was yeah. lived in. Yeah. There was yeah. dust. Uh, you know, and that was cool. It made it that much more real. So when you've got a world that feels real and you've got characters that, that you're making real and yet you understand that there is a necessity for heroics, um, you know, that's, uh, that's stuff that you have to put in. I remember talking to Tim at one point. You know, you go through those Star Wars books, or you go through the Star Wars movies, you have to have suspense, you have to have action, you have to have a little bit of horror, you have to have romance, you have yeah. to have humor. you have to have humor. Um, banter. It, banter, you get really good dialogue, you know, and, and, and really, I mean, the, the action scenes have got to be just absolutely killer, and you've got, you know, mystical nice stuff going on. Yeah. Um, you know, those are, those are just eight categories where you've got to be hitting nines and tens. You know, if you if you want to be good, and and face it, the vast majority of writers out there, probably at their best, can hit on five of those. You know, so to actually be able to hit on all of them, that means you know, writing Star Wars is really really demanding, and that's why understanding the hero's journey is not enough. You know, that tells you some of the things that have to go on, and then you have to deliver. And, and you know, and the one that they get short shrift probably is the humor. But the humor is what makes everything else go, you know. And if you can't you do bet humor, asteroid. <laughs> but if you can't make humor work, you know, then your Star Wars book is just going to die. Well, and I had a, a different bit of research when I was given the book Dark Saber to write. Um, Barbara Hambly had done the previous book called Children of the Jedi, in which they were going to have this be the great love of Luke's life was Callista. And they did that, and the, I don't, I'm not privy to any of the, the smoke-filled back room or, or juice-filled back room rooms or whatever. Um, but somehow they decided that there was this Mara Jade person they liked better. <laughs> so, so my job was I'm picking up after Luke's with the great love of his life, and Kevin, you get to break that. <laughs> so I get to write the great romantic, tragic romantic novel of... But I wanted it to be somebody who he really, really, really cared for, but it just didn't work. So I could have done like the old um, Cartwright wife syndrome where she just dies. Um, that's too easy. So thanks to her, 
I did research. I read The Thornbirds, and I read Gone with the Wind, and I read The Bridges of Madison County. I did this for you. Oh, my God. <laughs> and we appreciate it. Bridges of Madison County? Holy crap. And you survived? From cover to cover. You, you, um, your hair was darker back before that, was. wasn't it? Yeah, I yeah. thought so. Yeah. But I really wanted to get this big visceral... I mean, I'm a science fiction guy, a Lord of the Rings guy, fantasy guy, mysteries, thrillers. I'm more familiar with Hannibal Lecter than I am with real romance. Well, no, no. Wait. <laughs> um, Tim, but, mo- Tim, move this yeah, way. It's not going to be pretty. Yeah. But I really, really wanted to get get a good grasp for what was considered like classic solid romance novels not not like the throwaway harlequin ones the good the real gone with the wind and i liked gone with the wind i liked the thornbirds they all had nice tragic endings and stuff so i i studied those because in the at the end of of dark saber the whole romance had to tank um turn it over to the to Tim. My fault. <laughs> and he didn't read Bridges of Madison County, so no, you didn't no. do your homework. <laughs> so uh, we want to uh, be able to take some questions about this, uh, and we have a microphone here set up in the middle if anybody wants to come up. And uh, while people are making their way up to the center for their, their microphones, um, I, will, I will put it to you then that uh, you hear um, if the hero's journey is only an ingredient to, to Star Wars... Um, what what sort of other things uh, are you think do you think are as important as that as you're putting things together? You want to list, list, list them all. again? Yeah. Mike? Yeah, well, or, or, or I mean, other, I mean, like as you're as you're putting. Let's go to the questions over here. <laughs> so, I think one of the elements that belongs in the mythos that you may have missed is the is the element of loss. And my question for Michael, in particular, is in, in terms of the um, the X-wing novels, attrition. Right. How that comes in, how that develops your story and your character. So I'll let you take it from there. Sure. Um, yeah, you know, especially when you're writing military science fiction, you know people are going to die. Uh, and so, uh, and this is part of the emotional roller coaster bargain uh, that readers get when they pick up one of these novels. You got to know that not everybody's going to live. So the job of the writer is to uh, characterize characters sufficiently that people develop an attachment to them. So when you whack them, they will cry. Um, and that is, uh, and, and, and with the X-Wing books, to be very specific, uh, one of the things that I did, uh, I did in there, um, in the X-Wing books, the first fatality is, is someone who's killed in her sleep. She's not out fighting in an X-Wing. And I did that deliberately because I wanted, she was a lovely character. I, I, I was happy to characterize her and make everybody like her. But then I murdered her in her sleep because I wanted, I wanted everyone to think that that wasn't fair. That that was totally not fair. So when the squadron got to go and 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 shoot the crap out of the base of of the guys that that you know that killed her, I wanted them to feel so much better about it. You know, and 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 that was done very very deliberately. And so yeah, you build in loss. I mean, you build in those things because otherwise it's not real. And and I think there's a certain amorality to writing about warfare. Where only the people you don't like die, you know that that's wrong. That makes people think that it's too easy to do, and that's just not just not right. It's not realistic, and I don't really think that's a lesson anyone should take from from anything. Uh, due to most of the expanded universe being just gone, apparently now <laughs> it's not canon anymore. How does that make you feel? The the, the term we're using is cannon fodder. Cannon. <laughs> 
services, he would like to put it legends. Right. Yeah, we are not just canon, we are yeah, legends. Yeah, we are legends now. It's not bad to be a legend, yeah. um, but when we came into the universe and signed our first contracts, okay. we knew they got to do anything they wanted with them. And we were told, you know, if George ever gets around to making movies uh, 7, 8, and 9, you know, he will do whatever he wants. So we knew from the start that they didn't have to take anything from ours, and it was extra, and we got to be, like, the main after-dinner course for many, many, many years, and that was very fortunate and and good for us. Uh, Let me put the best spin on it I can can come up with so far. No, seriously. Um, Legends means simply we can't confirm this happened. Think of the Robin Hood legend. Okay. Now, think about the fact Disney has all of this in their possession, Lucasfilm and Disney. They will eventually start mining the expanded universe for cool stories. And by calling it legends, they don't have the embarrassing situation of, yes, this story is canon. No, it never existed. Oh, wait, it does exist. By calling it legends, you're in the same situation as somebody tomorrow digging around Stonehenge, finding a a, a, a letter from Prince John to the Sheriff of Nottingham saying, okay, I've had it with this Robin Hood guy. I want his head on a stake next week and Friar Tucks and Little Johns and Alan Adales. And suddenly the legend of Robin Hood is now a historical fact. And they can suddenly come up with, think of it as there was a great serious flood in the basement of the, the records building in Coruscant. <laughs> they can't confirm any of this stuff happened anymore. But if they find a second, second one right. that mentions Corin Horn and how much everybody hates him, <laughs> I win. Yeah. Suddenly, <laughs> suddenly Corin Horn is no longer a legend. So they can easily bring anything they want back into mainstream with a minimum of effort. Now, as to what they do if. You know, what we do if they bring back Corrin Horn, but they make him something different. We authors are masters of spackle. We will no. make it fit. <laughs> we will make it fit with our books. Trust us, we can do that. Yeah, I think, I think the other really important thing, and I know everybody's been, a lot of people have been upset about these things, are, are what we had done being declared legends. You have to remember that a lot of the 30-somethings who are now working on the films, who are going forward, are people that enjoyed Star Wars through our books the same way all of you did. Which means that whether they like it or not, we are behind the scenes manipulating their expectations <laughs> and visions of Star Wars. So, so even though the, the canon, or, or, and we all knew our stuff was never canon, but even though the EU has been pushed into the realm of legends, everything these guys have learned, all the experiences they've had and stuff that they've enjoyed has included all the material that we did. And even if they don't bring something factually back out, uh, out of the legends, just that, that feel of the universe is still going to be there. This is why I'm, I'm very enthusiastic. I've watched one trailer. Uh, I want to go into that theater, you know, literally with the same level of exposure I did in 1977 to see the new films. So I, you know, and I, I, I hope the rest of you will go in with that kind of open mind. I mean, I've got, I've got no skin in the game. You know, I'm not doing any work for them or anything. I'm just going as a fan, and and I really can't wait to get that experience back. 
and to unders underscore what Mike just said, the, the, the greatest fear one of us would have would be meeting somebody from Disney 10 years from now and saying, hey, Kevin, you know, if I'd known about your Jedi Academy books, we could have used those. <laughs> However, given that two of the story group are Leland Shi and Pablo Hidalgo, both of whom are big Expanded Universe fans, if they decide not to use something of ours, it's because they decided not to, not that they didn't know about it. Right, yeah. We have as good an advocacy, advocacy on that board as we could hope for, and if they choose not to use our stuff, their decision, they own it. None of us could come up with the $4 billion to top it, so it's <laughs> theirs. Yeah. They would well, not take a check. And, and we're answering this at, at great length just because we get asked this so much, yeah. and we yeah. know this is a question that you want to have. So be now, sure to share our answers yeah. with your friends so we well, won't be asked these damn questions anymore. Yeah. So I was, Anybody live tweeting this? Yes, when I was, when I was working on the, my book with Ralph McQuarrie, The Illustrated Star Wars Universe, this was like big National Geographic stuff about all of the different planets, and I was going through every single Star Wars book. stuff to bring it all together and put it... And, in one of my meetings with George Lucas, I was a very, very brave person, and I asked this question. So, Mr. Lucas, am I allowed to put the stuff in there from the holiday special? Your hair was much darker before then, wasn't it? <laughs> now, now, keep in mind, I had been told to put Ewok's Battle for Endor in there. And, and George said to me, to my face, if I could find every single bootleg copy of that thing and burn it, I would be happy. <laughs> That is not what they said with the, expand, the, the Expanded Universe books. Yeah. They have kept them around. That's the thing I want you all to understand is, sure, they're called legends, but they could have taken them out of print and made it so that you could only buy them in, new, in used bookstores. They are selling as well now as they ever were. Yeah. They're awesome. still out there. Yeah. They're still out there. You can still buy them. You can still read the Thrawn trilogy. You can still read the X-Ring books. You can still read Jedi Academy and Darksaber. They're still there, and they didn't have to do that. They could have just, like, dumped them. Um, but they kept them around, and I've worked in a lot of comics. Think of how many times you have seen Spider-Man rebooted, Batman oh, yeah, rebooted, yeah, yeah, Superman yeah. rebooted, whatever. So it's okay. Just, you can just, love all just, of those yes. stories. And, it's all right. Yes. And not only are they still selling them, they just started about a year ago bringing Star Wars books out in new Portuguese editions in Brazil. And they started with the Thrawn trilogy and some of the others, either mixing... And they've got, I think that was, yeah, same, was like same thing in Russia. Nineteen yeah. Star Wars books they were contracted to do in two years, along with their other stuff. This publisher, so it's not just they're still selling them because hey, it's free money. They're aggressively marketing them yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. So it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> deep in breath, everybody. Deep universe, cleansing Mr. breath. Yes. Mr. Spock look. has a beard, but that's okay. So do we. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that's a different mirror universe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and and that, that brings up the question: What what have you created that you were uh, proud or pleased to see get carried over into? We don't know what's going to be. Carried well, I mean, over what ha I mean, there's been a lot with 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 uh, Clone Wars. There's been a lot with. Uh, yeah, yeah, the double bladed Darth Maul's double bladed lightsaber was in the Tales of the Jedi, and the the Bomar monks, the the things that put their brain in the jars with the spider walkers, those have been in the. Clone Wars, uh, Dave Overton's Witches of Dathomir are in there. There's a lot of stuff that's, yeah. uh, which is which is what Mike was saying about yeah. the story group. Coruscant. They've, made it. Yep. Well, Tim named Coruscant. Yeah. Um, that's 
they all read our stuff. We know yeah. it's there. They're going to start putting it in there. That's to, to emphasize just because it's, it's called legends doesn't mean it's not true. It's still some of it's in there. Yeah. And and it doesn't have to be limited to movies. Okay, let's say Mike's duck stuff never makes it into the big screen. How about in five years the X-Wing TV series on ABC? Yeah, on Netflix. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, yeah we just so, we just binge-watched that sucker over a weekend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, ABC, Disney owns it. they yeah, got to fill yeah, it with yeah. programming. Well, How they've about talked it? about Young Jedi Knights series for a long time. Sure. I mean, Why not? They yeah. could put a, an X-Wing, Young Jedi Knights, uh, Tales so, of the so Jedi. What, they could own that night on TV. So what you have to do is not watch any ABC stuff unless it's Star Wars. Okay? <laughs> just tank their ratings unless it's Star Wars. I'm just saying, it's a strategy, guys. You are being recorded. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that gets out on the internet, yeah. <laughs> Did they take your implant out or not? No, that's not revealing any secrets. That's planning a strategy. That's okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. It's marketing. Um, this is uh, a question for uh, the three uh, on the left. Um, the bearded guys. Sorry. The bearded ones. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but um, when you made iJedi, you basically combined um, storyline elements from uh, Timothy Zahn and Kevin J. Anderson. Mm-hmm. And they were, he um, can't think of his own ideas. <laughs> but then you like... Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, gentlemen, this is a civilized room. Talk about how he spackled our stuff. So yeah, yeah, don't yeah, go yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. But then you like made it from a first-person perspective, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's like I don't know of any other Star Wars novel that really did that I think the, well. I think Kevin Hearns is is out in first person, or the one he's got coming yeah. out is going to be first person. Yeah, but uh, I was wondering how. How exactly you kind of collaborated with them and stuff like that? Um, that was actually it was an interesting process. Um, Tim and I had talked about what Corin's probable career was after the X-wing books um, at a convention uh, because Tim was uh, Tim was writing uh, 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 Sh- uh, Shadow and Vision. Spectre. Or Spectre, Spectre. Spectre, which at that time was just Spectre, and then it became Spectre and Vision. It was Hand of Thrawn, and then it got too long, it became Spectre. And right. Yeah. Uh, and so we had talked about what, what Corrin's probable career was, and so Tim said, well, you know, I'd like to use Corrin in, in, in the later book, so I'm just going to basically run with that. And then I talked to uh, Tom Dupree, who was the Star Wars editor at, uh, at Bantam at the time, and told him, you know, that I had always thought that a first-person book uh, of a Jedi's journey of discovering the Force and first person, I always thought that would be a really good idea. And told him, you know, I, I originally it should have been Luke, but uh, they did that in the comics with Dark Empire. Uh, so I said, you know, I, I think it'd be a good idea. I'd love to do it with with Corin. And and this was just uh, Tom and me shooting the shit over over a drink at a convention. Um, and uh, Tom came back and said, uh, Hey, you've got I Jedi. Uh, I talked Lucasfilm into it. They really liked it. Uh, and we've got four more X-Wing books. You're going to do one of those. I need somebody to fill in for the other three. It's like, okay, that's cool. Uh, later he told me he'd picked Aaron to do that. Uh, and so that was super cool because I had introduced him to Aaron. Uh, and so I was really, really happy there. When it came to writing I, Jedi, uh, one of the reasons that I said it during the time of the Jedi Academy trilogy is, is a book that I had always loved since I was a kid was uh, Frederick Forsyth's um, uh, Day of the Jackal. Which had an assassin running around through, uh, you know, modern day true events, and so I thought, boy, I could do Day of the Jackal running through those novels because Kevin, rather brilliantly, while he had twelve 
apprentices had only named six of them. You know, and so there was there was room for me to slip somebody else in there. And so I went through and I indexed those books and I figured out all the scenes that Corn could be in, all the scenes that he couldn't be in, and, and all of that stuff. At the same time, um, Tim and I were probably talking on the phone every single day uh, that I was writing that book because that book wrote itself in 31 days out of a 41-day period. So we, were, so we were chatting back and forth. And I remember as I was coming down to the end, I called Kevin. I said, hey, Kevin, you do anything with that Sith Temple and the new books you're, you're, you're dealing with? And he said, no, no, we're, we're not doing anything. I said, great, I'm blowing it up. Uh, <laughs> and, so, uh, and so that was, you know, that was, and so, you know, working with these guys, and, and back during the Bantam days, you know, they, Bantam really allowed us to do this sort of, this sort of back channel uh, uh, chatter back and forth, yeah, which they was. They basically told us to work it out amongst ourselves. Yeah. They, they, didn't, yeah. they didn't say, no, you can't do that. They yeah. said, yeah, you, you kids play nice, and uh, you know, yeah, don't make a mess. Uh, you know, we'll call you for dinner, and that was and that was and that was pretty much how it went. And so that was uh, that was that. Now, the one thing that I have to say, about six months after I had finished *I Jedi*, which was like one hundred sixty-six thousand or one hundred sixty-seven thousand words, by far the biggest Star Wars book at, at that point. I, I would I'd been hired to write one hundred twenty-five thousand words. It came in at one sixty-seven. Uh, the editor said, don't worry, we'll trim stuff. I said to him, through my agent, use a smaller typeface. Um, <laughs> they used a smaller typeface. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I was writing really, really fast uh, with the Elegos scenes. Tim had introduced Elegos in his book, sent me that chapter. I wrote the last third of I, Jedi, um, you know, taking Elegos ten years back and then building him back up and sent that last third to Tim. Uh, so he and, and and just in time for him to start writing Elegos again, taking yeah. all the experience that I'd given Elegos, elevating it back for another ten years, and we're good to go. So six months after I'm done the book, which was and I, obviously I read a little bit faster than Tim uh, was at that point. Faster. Oh, okay. Uh, but I get this phone call from Tim, and he says, "How many words was how many words was uh, I Jedi?" And I said, "167." Uh, he says, "Yeah, I just hit 168 today." <laughs> <laughs> Came out around two hundred thousand, I think, as I recall. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Next question, please. Um, yes, um, I started reading Star Wars books. I was ten years old, and I bought a book called *Heir to the Empire*. Heard of that? And my mother's pocketbook was never the same. But what I <laughs> really wanted to know is what prompted you to write the Young Jedi Knights and the Junior Jedi Knights series and continue the hero's journey for kids. I got it. Um, there, there had been another. I was doing. A, I did a total of fifty-four projects for Lucasfilm. There was. I was doing a lot of things for them. And um, when I was up at at Skywalker Ranch once a month, they brought me into lunch and they said, "Kevin, we got an idea. Do you think that there's any possible young adult interest in Star Wars?" <laughs> Um, they had already done a series of other uh, kids' books for Star Wars that hadn't done as well as they, they wanted. Um, and one of the reasons, in my opinion, was that they didn't, they didn't have characters that were kids. They had characters who were Luke and, and Han and Leia who kind of acted like kids. So um, I said, but if you're going to do a young adult series, you should make it the characters be teenagers. And one of the first things I said is, how about young Luke Skywalker on Tatooine and young Princess Leia on Alderaan? And they didn't want that because George was still just playing with episode one, two, and three, and they had no idea what time frame he was going to do anything with. Uh, so then we, we thought, how about the, the Solo twins being trained as Jedi Knights? 
and they said, um, Kevin, would you like to write some young adult stuff? And I said, well, I, I would, but my wife is the young adult writer. Can we write them together? And we contracted to do three of them, and we turned in the first one. And remember, they had, they had not done well with the other kids' books that they did. And we turned in the first one, and we got a phone call from Lucy Wilson at, at Lucasfilm. And I, it, I don't quite know how to take this, because she called and said, well, so Kevin, we, we read the manuscript, and, and it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> do six instead of three. So it, it ended up being 14 total. Anything else? And he said, I like to change things up and not do a crummy one every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I decided to do one good one for you yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah that's just right, yeah. <laughs> just as a test. Yeah. 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 Uh, so which, which EU or Legends character had your favorite heroes or villains journey? That's Rebecca to answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm always a sucker for a redemption story. So there are, there are several redemption stories along the way, and um, a couple of them were in your books, the Ulic Keldroma, I think, was one, and then uh, what was the other yeah. character, Kip Duran, and then um, Zach in the Young Jedi Knights book had a really good redemption story. So th those are, I like the maybe um, moderate to villain up to hero. Well, let's see. There's somebody I can't remember what her name was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I mean, the obvious is Mara Jade, but I also rather like Shada Dukal's, uh growth where she is fighting for what she thinks is a noble cause, learns it's not, and then finds another noble cause to fight for. There, th I, I liked her character arc as well with that, Redemption. Yeah, I think I think for me, I, I really just enjoyed the the story arc of uh, for Corin over the eight novels that I did because I mean he went through uh, a, a lot of different things and that was um, you know constantly learning, constantly getting better. But where he starts out kind of being totally lost and then finding his way, embracing his heritage and and uh, and, and and really growing up a heck of a lot. Uh, yeah. I thought that that was um, that that for me was a lot of fun to explore that character that way. Can I suggest two of Aaron's arcs that I thought sure, were really please, good? Yeah. Uh, uh, Piggy's arc mm -hmm. through all of all of the the X-wing books, but particularly with Mercy, Mercy Kill and the hand he had. And I know it it might be controversial, but I really loved what he did with uh, Jason Solo mm -hmm. in that Legacy of the Four series and turning him to the dark side. Yeah. I just wanted Aaron no, that's good, to, yeah. good, yeah. good, very good. Yeah. Um, I do want to say that. Um, <clears throat> I grew up in a time when Star Wars was pretty much dead, and I don't believe it would be where it is today without the Thrawn trilogy. Thank you. Um, absolutely true. That being said, uh, any speculation or word from the mouse about using characters from EU, specifically Mary Jade? No <laughs> one has talked to me about anything. No one has to talk to any of us about anything. They own it outright. Right. Uh, the only way I ever knew one of my characters was in a video game was when someone played it and told me. <laughs> Be because no one ever told me ahead of time, by the way, your character is going to be in this game. So uh, we're, we're used to not knowing anything. Now, we have a big advantage uh, over a lot of you here 
in that we live on the West Coast, and by the time we're standing in line to watch The Force Awakens, Corwin will have seen it already and phoned in a review. <laughs> you guys in the East Coast are on your own. Hey, y'all. Uh, as uh, Kevin's pointed out, you guys came back many, many times to write uh, novels over the course of time. So, uh, you know, if, in the here and now, if they were to invite you back, uh, how tempted would you be to make sure that your legends became reality? Well, we would do what they do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 that, 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 that's predicated on on them saying. I mean, if they came to me and said, "Hey, we want you know we want Corin to show up in this universe, you know, rock and roll," absolutely be happy to do it. But you know, if they said, "Hey, you can't do Corin uh, at all ever. We're we, he's, he's dead to us. Uh, do something else," and do that too. You know. Look, the universe is, is, is fun to work in, and, and ultimately we're professionals. So, you know, if they offer us a job and we've got the, we've got the time and, and it's going to be an interesting story, you know, this is sure, we'll go back and do it. More likely that than we want to put Corin or Mar or Thrawn into the movies would be a scenario where we've got this side character who reminds us of Corin or Mara or Thrawn. Do you want to take him and run with him? And that would be sure. something, oh, yeah, we've already done that type of thing. We can make this character as exciting and part of the Star Wars universe as, as they were, so sure. Hey, we can have the character remember reading all those old Corn uh, Horn novels. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's him, models his life on it. Sure, yeah, that works for go. me. Yeah. And we are professionals, and our job is to tell the best story that we can. Yeah. And look, if somebody came to us and they said, we got a, a book for you to do. It's the best one you're ever going to write. It's The Hero's Journey of Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> we, we would, would all it. do a very good job with it. Yeah. And I think I'm, the, I'm serious. We yeah, would all yeah. go, all right, if that's what we're doing, that's I'm going to take well, it seriously. We're going to do the very best job that we possibly can. And, and, I, I and think, we could pull it off. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, <laughs> and, and seriously, I, we could. Well, and I think, I, I think the other thing is this, is that, is that I'm not saying this is the what you intended with your question, but the implication of that question, because we hear that variation a lot, is how dare Disney screw you guys? You know, and we really like you. Wouldn't you like to get back at them? No, no, oh, we, no, we no, have that's, no, that's no, not, no. I, that's I, not I the said, I said that that wasn't we the intention, but that's because I would love to see more, uh, you know, legend stuff myself. Uh, and, uh, you know, but, you know, I realize that, you know, uh, we're at where we're at. So I'm just wondering, you know, I mean, you know, like if they did offer you to write some more legends, would you write more legends? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, to, to, just to finish my thought, there are a bunch of people that, that sort of are, are wondering if we, you know, if we want to get back or something. That's, that's not our job. We all knew in taking yeah. contracts to write Star Wars that Star Wars was the big dog in the relationship. Okay, uh, you know, and, and and that's the way it's been since the beginning. And and none of us have looked at. I don't think any of us ever went into this thinking, "Hey, I'm going to write a Star Wars novel and then I'll become bigger than Star Wars." I mean, that's just not. It's not realistic. Um, you know, so we certainly enjoyed our time, and and uh, and and it's great. And if we get another bite at the apple, super. If we don't, you know, uh, I can. I enjoy eating popcorn while in a movie theater. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Next question, please. Uh, so this is for all of you uh, individually, but uh, knowing that they could totally change like parts of it and stuff, but uh, what's one the one character or conflict or location or whatever that you would love to see go from legend to in a movie or in a Netflix show or in a you know something that becomes canon? 
I, you know, for me, the, the, the qualification that it becomes canon, uh, that I don't really care about. I mean, uh, as I said earlier, you know, uh, a Netflix or an ABC series uh, based out of the X-Wing books, I mean, they could take the X-Wing books and essentially do great Game of Thrones with those, you know, and in that same sort of treatment and stuff, and I'd be perfectly happy. And they've got, you know, ten novels to play with, so, so what the heck. I mean, I, I would love to see that just because I enjoyed writing those. I want to see the fights, damn it, yeah. you know. <laughs> Actually, we could do a nice combination, Game of Thrones. You Game of Thrones. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's why he gets the big bucks. <laughs> and I, I really liked my the, t- the Tales of the Jedi stuff, the 4,000 years before the mm-hmm. movies, because we had so much room to run. We could kill off the characters because they were original characters. And I think we had just some of the best, like, Imagination, because we had to make up like lightsabers that plugged into power packs and 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 retro retro. It's almost like steampunk Star Wars. We yeah. had to retro things and and it was just so great to be working in that. And I remember working with my the comic artist Chris Gossett as we were doing the end of the last of the last pages in Redemption, the the end of Ulic Keldrum where Ulic dies after like twenty six twenty six issues, and. We're, we're setting up this big death scene for him, and, and Chris is sitting across the desk from me. He's, he's sketching things. He's sketching the death scene, and and we were we're getting worked up, and he's he's talking about how to lay it out, and I'm I'm talking about the scene, and and he's kind of quiet, and then he just looks up at me, and he's got just tears pouring down his face, and I'll never forget that, and I would love to see that stuff brought. In its own, because it, it doesn't connect with it. It's four thousand years before the rest of the yeah. stories. I would love to see that that go forward. Anything? Any comments, dear? Would you like to say anything, dear? <laughs> I don't no. have anything specific. I would love to see the young Jedi Knights come about because I like the even younger characters than were in the original Star Wars um, to be able to experience everything for the first time. Next question. First off, thank you so much for writing all your books. Absolutely amazing. Thank you for reading them. Thank you. Uh, more, moreover, thank you for buying them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this question is more for um, Timothy Zahn. Yeah. First off, Thank you for writing Mara Jade. She's my all-time favorite character in Star Wars. Thank you. Um, I had to ask, what was your reaction to her death? Like, <gasps> <laughs> hey, hey, dude, spoiler alert, okay? Spoiler alert. I mean, you know. Sorry. Well, you're in here. <laughs> but yeah, so what was your reaction? Um, like, how did you feel about it? Um, um, this is your character. You built her up and for the way she went. Uh, again not my character in the sense that I own her. Lucasfilm owned her. My creation, but we all know that this stuff is is taken over. I disagreed with a couple of things about her death, uh, similar to disagreeing with why they killed off Chewbacca. You know, Mike is of the opinion you've got to kill some people off because you've got to have raised attention. I I go a different approach with that. I I put them in impossible situations and have the tension be how they're going to get out of this one. Uh, different different approaches. Uh, the, the thing that bothered me, I think, most was that they didn't tell me they were going to do it, and they were not going to tell me. Apparently, it had been decided not to tell Zahn about this in advance, which is not just... You know, it, it, it's bad enough that they're going to do this to my character, but they're questioning my professionalism 
the, the obvious. Should be pissy about it. Well, I don't know what they thought, but the idea that I would release it or talk about it or spoil it or anything like that is kind of an insult to my professionalism. I would have been very annoyed. I would have argued against it, but I would not have leaked it. And so that why that decision was made was as bad as the actual event in the book for me. Maybe they thought you'd be successful at talking them out of, the, out of it. <laughs> I don't know what the reason, but it was apparently a deliberate decision wow. from what I've heard. Okay, next question. We've got time for, for the, these last two quick ones. Hey, uh, how you doing? Uh, thank you very much for doing the books again. Met you to meet these on at Celebration 6. That was an awesome experience. And we talked about Mara then, mm -hmm. so we won't bring that up like we just did. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but mine has to do with uh, characters like Alagos, and mm -hmm. not just in deaths, though. It's what's your favorite or least favorite thing that your characters who have gone on into the more recent EU books, Fate um, of the Jedi and uh, the Legacy of the Force, and what happened to them, either good or bad, something that you liked or you hated? I, I literally have, after I stopped after I stopped writing the stuff, I just stopped tracking it. Yeah. So I have no clue how to answer that. And it's not out of spite. We don't have time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, yeah. Really. Yeah, again, we you don't make any money anymore that we're not ready for Star Wars, so we have to take on millions yeah. of points. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. Next we question. Can't them when we buy them. <laughs> yeah. Hi, uh, Michael. Thank you for making my favorite character. Oh, so. sure. <laughs> um, I just my question, I guess, about the hero's journey. Um, do you have with the heroes you created? Do you have more to tell? Do you think do you feel this journey is complete? I guess. Um, I think it, you know, and this was this was comments made previously on the panel. I think that there's always more to tell. There are more challenges that you can face the characters with. Um, so you know, if if we were given a chance to to go back and play more with, uh, you know, if they said, "Hey, we want some more X-wing books," you know, could I find stories to tell? Absolutely. Um, but it, but you know, that's what we do. Yeah. I, I probably have a mental list of 20 Star Wars books I could do if they wanted me to do them. So, yeah, we, we don't run out of ideas. We, we have more ideas, Star Wars and everything else, than we will ever have time to write. But I get the Jar Jar Heroes Journey novel. Yes, you do. <laughs> That's out there now, Kevin. It's being, it's being liked. It's moving right up the charts. It's trend, trending right now. Demand that book. That's right. If we can make that baby trend on Twitter, we are good to go. <laughs> I'd so write that book. Yes. <laughs> when you know who the klutz is that accidentally pushes the button that destroys Alderaan, it wasn't even the Death Star. It was Jar Jar sitting at a nuclear reactor. 